Today we are joined by Gary Kernin, the author of the Modern Soccer Coach book series and current assistant women's soccer coach with Racing Louisville FC. During the conversation we discuss having game principles and believing in them, how making players better people should be your focus and how coaches should reflect on their coaching journey. You can subscribe to the Coaching Bubble podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud and you can keep up to date with all things Coaching Bubble on social media at Bubble Coaching. Loads to take away from today. Enjoy. Uh, Gary, delighted to be joined with you today. Thank you very much for coming on. A uh, bit of a time difference, so uh, we're, we're, it's the end of my day and the start of your day. Um, but just on that, I suppose the fact that you're working professionally in soccer over there in the US, you might maybe give us a, a taste of your sort of daily or weekly schedule, if that's, if that's all right to start off. Yeah, sure thing. First of all, thanks for having me on. Really excited to, uh, to chat and an honour to be a guest. So uh, I suppose where I would start, we're I'm working with a senior team at the minute at the, at the Women's Professional League and we're, we're in our pre-season. It's a really extended pre-season, I suppose, by, by general standards. It's, it's probably around eight to ten weeks, um, which is good uh, to get, you know, as coaches, sometimes you always want that. Or complain that the preseason's too rushed, or you don't get the time on the pitch that you want. And um, we've got a, quite a bit of that, so it's been good from a planning perspective. So uh, we've we've got full time access to the players, uh, even during the you know some restrictions here at the minute and with COVID. Uh, we're very fortunate with facilities and with a, a, a bubble type environment. Um, we can get them in. We're probably doing uh, five days to six days training at the minute one to almost like a day and a half off where they've got like a half a day I would say is a is the re is recovery day and then a full day off which is like a mental and physical break from it um as coaches because it's so early in the season we're on like almost I suppose 7 30 a.m to 7 30 p.m at the minute um six or sorry seven days a week um what's kind of extended our days is the planning and the review so and i think that's that's where i've seen a big change actually in recent years just at this level uh, a little bit more time to to really get after to be a bit more specific with the plan of training sessions and maybe a, a bit more specific about uh who we're trying to put where and then on the on the back end of things a bit more specific on delivering feedback and then a bit more specific about putting processes in place so um it's been fun a lot of work i do after the, the is, is through video so i probably spend the first part of my day um just planning for me like the present we do a presentation before training session a lot of that's video making sure it's it's short and sharp we want to get out of there pretty quickly and then with the training session then working on that there and then after that it's just back to video so I'm really passionate about that side of it and probably more so in the last five years. So uh, it's been good. So it's been enjoyable. It's it's hard work and we've got a lot of work to do, but I'm, but I'm loving it, working with good people. Okay, so I'd say a lot of people listening now are going to be extremely jealous that one, that you're coaching full time and two, that you have access to your players five, five and a half days a week. Um, so uh, there's a few things you mentioned that I'd like to touch on, but the planning thing co- picked my interest first. Okay, so you talk about planning and you talk about being specific in in what you're trying to do and how you're doing it. So could you maybe give us an example? And I'm not looking for big tactical secrets or anything like that, but maybe on a on a sort of a, a macro level and how that goes into your micro level. And to, if, does that make sense? Like maybe how how your 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 long term or your your big aspirations how that feeds into your daily training sessions yeah so i suppose the the challenge with with this philosophy question like i think philosophy is a big a big part in the last 10 years of coaching we're almost we've moved towards this idea of what the coach wants and uh, you know, i think van hal probably probably put a big emphasis on that there across the world. And then Mourinho has, has helped kind of glamorize this idea of the coach and putting in a game model and a tactical system that you're trying to work towards rather than, you know, I think the challenge with that is, is that because the game at soccer today is moving like opposition analysis, uh, you know, I think it used to be, well, you get them in in preseason and you work towards a, a certain system. 
I think now you're working towards a set of principles because you want to be flexible enough because the, the game's so different every time you play a different team and someone will work something out. And especially at the professional level, the access to scouting um, and data as well is that they'll probably identify your strengths and weaknesses four days before the game. So, so for us, being specific is being consistent first and foremost in what those principles are and then trying to deliver every day um, and getting players, getting players in those areas that, you know, are they playing the same? Are they playing in the right position? Are they solving the right problems? Are there the relationships between units? Um, so there's so many dynamics in it where, you know, it it can change. Uh, it can change to where like, oh well, you know, it's not she's going to play number nine every day. It's a sense of all right, where's the you know, you try and break it down, but at the same time, it's. It's trying to make it as cohesive as possible. And for us, that's done through the principles. So, you know, I'd say probably on average five in possession principles, attack an organization, probably five out of uh, possession, then probably three transitional in each one. So you're probably looking at 16 principles overall and constantly working towards that. Then tweaking the environment to where the players are actually, I think on surface level, it, it sounds great to have access to the players. And it is, like it's brilliant, but as well, you want to make sure the environment tweaks all the things that you, which for us is adaptability, versatility, you know, energy, because the more access you have to players, the more they are, you know, we're all creatures of habit, so the more they might want that routine. And and that's the thing for a coach where I think it's very easy to give them five a side every day and have a little passing pattern and go home. But everyone, players love you. They'll absolutely love you. Uh, but your responsibility is to kind of go in and maybe dig for something, maybe put people out of their comfort zones. Maybe it might just be a bad referee in someday. Um, and then, you know, you people don't really enjoy that there, but that's the way to, to kind of make them better. So you put all these things together um, and, and, all, and all the time, like you're, you're trying to look at it with a bit of empathy as well to see, you know, you're trying to push the players, but not push them so much that they don't know what's going on. So, these conversations are constantly happening. And, and I'd love to say that there's a template to follow, like a periodization chart. But some days it's just changes every day. You might be ahead of where you think you are in one area, behind in another area. So I think that's why a good staff and good communication is important. But I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach. That's something I've definitely learned in recent years. Yeah, but I really I think it's really interesting what you say there, Gary, about that you're not, let's say, uh, trying to play to a specific system but more trying to play to the principles okay so trying to play to principles of play and maybe focusing on the process maybe rather than the results etc uh, we hear that an awful lot but you just explained that they're I suppose in a practical sense but what I'd like to ask you is where does the principles of play come from the head coach and it's down and that's it that's how that's how we're doing it folks or is there a a sort of coaching philosophy from the head coach, but then everyone else, including players, would feed into those principles. Or I'm just wondering, and I'm curious about how you create that buy-in to, to stick into that. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the million dollar question, Stephen. Like, and, and I've probably gone back and forth on this here. Uh, where I would stay is right now is that I actually think the coach has to be the driver of the principles because. Um, they have to believe in it enough. Bielsa's got a great quote on this. Like, you have to believe in something. Like, all these resistance things that you're going to have to go and, and go up against. I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing, you're always pushing the, the boulder uphill, so to speak, in a lot of, in a lot of different respects in soccer or in any sport to get the team, you know, to prepare a team. You're, you're, you want it to make it physical, but not too physical. You know, you want it to make it tactical, but not, you know, instructions, you, you're always trying to get tip the balance. So, you know, there's so many temptations to hold back and just do what you've done before. And in order to, to, to beat those temptations or to go against those temptations, you have to believe in something or you have to have an end vision of what you want, I think. And I think that end vision will mean that, like, yeah, maybe you want to play like Barcelona, but you don't have the players to do it. But like if, if you believe in that way of, of football or soccer or camogie or hurling, whatever it is, if you believe in that there, then then you can improve those players towards 
playing in some respect an idea of that game. And I think that'll drive your recruitment and I think that drives standards. But I think like I don't like I don't like and we talk a lot about it over here and I don't like it. I don't like when we say, well, you know, it's about wins, you've got to do what you've got to do. And like, no, every game's about winning, but you have to you know, you find out how you actually want to win the game. And if you're saying, well, yeah, well, I have to knock it long for three years until they bring, you know, bring the best players in. And your other players aren't going to get, you know, you might bring four great players in, but those other eight players or 10 players, whoever's in this one, they're not getting any better because they're conditioned to play a different game. So I just think that the the philosophy of the coach, I think, and I think that's something we've learned in recent years or, or sorry, certainly from a soccer perspective. And what I see it is like, these these guys, Guardiola, Tuchel, even today, uh, Klopp, they are so strong by their convictions, and Mourinho even, and probably to a fault that you know they have to stand and, and defend it in front of people and on social media and all that there. Um, but that's I think that's what it takes to be to to be high level. Like I think you have to believe in what you're doing that much. Like Bielsa as well. Like I just I think he's just a breath of fresh air, and that's where he wants. And I. Yeah, it's coach-driven, but like, there's parts of it. We love to say everything player-driven and this here, but there's parts of the game that, that that's what a coach is for. If it was all players, then you wouldn't need a coach. <laughs> okay, and my follow-up oh, now... Oh, they would enjoy that some days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but my follow-up, Gary, now to that is then, um, I suppose... You said you've come around. You're you've come around to the way of thinking that it should be the principles of play should come from the head coach or or, or the manager or whatever that may be. So, has your your own philosophy changed much over the years in terms of how you want, let's say, if your principles of play to be? Have they changed? And and if so, I suppose how and why. I, I, I'm really interested in the why, and um, because we speak a lot about coaching philosophy on this show and people give us some great examples. But the way you're talking there, it sounds like maybe you've developed yours through a, a certain period of time and it might be interesting to share. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of like a lot of the things I've, I think my coaching journey has been where I've, I've, I've second guessed or I've gone back and I've reflected or I've changed. I think I've changed a lot in the last five to 10 years. I think to put it in, in context, like when I first started coaching, my first job was at a was at a division two, a smaller college, um, where I was the head coach, and I and I had an opportunity to build a program, um, and, and the level was such that once I started recruiting or, or was successful to recruit a caliber of player that was I thought I thought we recruited really well and we brought in some great players. Once we did that, uh, we got from the middle third or sorry the the build up into the final third, there wasn't a lot of resistance. And once we were in the final third, we had some physical qualities and some technical qualities that we could generate a lot of opportunities. So my philosophy was pretty direct because that's what the demands of the game were. I mean, there was no point in me passing 20 times to get into the final third when we could do it in three. Then when I went to California as a head coach at a higher level, it was Division One, and we were, we were the small school or we were the one with the lesser resources uh, I tried to implement a, a same style. Now, with that tactically, I think you also have to layer in the characteristics of how you want your team to play with with the, the mannerisms and the defensive intensity. And I think coming from Ireland, my intensity would be pretty high. Like I think as Irish people, we generally want any sport to be played with passion and conviction and enthusiasm and energy and maximum effort. So I put that alongside and put the model, the tactical model, and put it in, put it together, and it failed because now the requirements are higher. Now we didn't have that those players. Um, now I had to solve problems higher up to create, and that taught me then that my coaching had to be better. Then when I get to the professional level, then I look and reflect. Because where you're at, you always think where you're at is being stressed, but reality, like there's a higher level. So then I go from college to the professional level, and I realize then that the four moments of the game are clear, and then you have to start creating situations where the, the players know with what you're doing. As with senior players, they know whether it's realistic or not because they've played so many games at a high level that they start putting an input in. So you have to balance that there as well. And that was something that I learned in Chicago where 
you know, they, they had to really believe in what it was. They had to believe and, and see it and feel it. And then you have to go through that there. So you move more to the players end. Uh, whereas in college, my philosophy was way coach-led. I probably thought at the time that I was real a player-led coach. And all, but like looking back, it was my way or the highway. Um, <laughs> and I think, but that's that's reflection. Like, and I think, and I think right now, I probably like I'm, I'm an assistant coach now. I'm working with someone who's really collaborative in all of this here. So it's really interesting. But I think. Uh, in a nutshell, my philosophy's changed because every time I go up, I felt that every job I've had is asked really tactical, tactically more in terms of the strategy of the game, and to solve that with certain players, it's not easy. Yeah, but you're, the fact that you're continually stretching yourself, though, it, it, it sort of, I suppose, because you keep taking those steps up, it puts you in an environment where you have to, I suppose, evolve and 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 get better and get more advanced in your coaching. Um, you talked about feedback and um, it's something I wanted to touch on. So you have a few books, uh, the modern soccer, the modern soccer coach. Um, and we'll talk about what motivated you to write the book in, in a few minutes, because I suspect there's a story behind that. But one of them, you talk about a uh, positional specific training. Okay. And this is something that really resonated with me because um, like, how does that look practically in a session? And, what I mean is particularly in a team sport, how do you give that feedback to one person and then you're giving different feedback to another person in a different uh, position, if that makes sense, and, and trying to cater for that in a team environment? It, it must be challenging. Yeah, I think time's the biggest challenge, time and energy. I think to go through, you know, if you have a, if you have a Gaelic team and you're 15 uh, and you've got a soccer team in 11 and, you, you know, I think a soccer, like, I know we'll talk later on about about the profession in terms of coaching, and I think we've got our theories really good at them. I think there's a lot of progress in theory, but I would always urge coaches that the, the practical elements of coaching is the hardest. You know, it's getting out and well, I've only got two nights a week, or well, I've only got a squad of whatever, or I don't have enough time, or I've only not, not got an assistant coach. Like you never have enough time. Like even even us right now, like I'm I'm going home at night. 12-hour days and I'm not getting enough done. I'm not getting what I want to get done. Um, but if I had four more staff around me in certain areas, I'd, I'd probably still not get enough done. You always want to do more. Um, I think I think for me, when I look back on the position, like we still, I, I still, the positional model for me is to get players, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think any sport involves you executing uh, certain things differently in different parts of the field. And I think you can look and say, all right, well, what, you know, if if, if we play attacking fullbacks, if we're like Liverpool and we want uh, Alexander-Arnold and and, um, and Robertson and we want to utilise players like that in the final third, how could I do that? And I think in soccer, sometimes to a fault, we work on the creating the opportunity. Well, we could build strategically through X's and O's and then get the players there. But if those players can't execute that skill, under pressure, time, space, whatever it is, then it's going to be pretty difficult for it to be maximized. So I think you have to take a step back and get the players that repetition. And I think um, that's where, you know, I think they're not shouting it from the rooftops, but I think all the clubs today who are operating at a high level are, are bringing in some specialists to help uh, different except like, piece specialists or ball striking coaches or whatever it is. And I think that's where... We should be looking as coaches at every single level. So to bring it back and say, all right, well, I can't do that for every single team. Like The biggest complaint I hear from coaches when they're asking for like, oh, if we, uh, we have a really good team. We possess this and we do that and we build a ball. But if we had a number nine, we would be so good. And all right, so how much time do you spend with your nine doing, doing the work? Now, I mean, I don't have enough time to do it. Like the highest reward in soccer is putting the ball in the back of the net, but the amount of teams, Stephen, that don't that don't actually work that into their sessions or don't actually do video with their forwards, and I would say, like, I would compare it to basketball and working in universities here. Like every morning, I would come in that that you could always hear the ball bouncing, but you could always hear the rim going boom, or it was the swish. You, the basketball players don't practice bouncing the ball up to the halfway court and passing it that's easy like basketball players practice putting the ball in the basket 
because that's where they're going to get. Like, that's the difference between winning and losing game. So I think to drop that then back a level and say, all right, well, what's going to... Now, at the professional level, you can do more because you have more time. So you can get three or four of those situations. But for me, like, every coach here is a goalkeeper coach or every club here is goalkeeper coaches. And it's great. Like, brilliant. Give the give them that support. But put your put support as well in the, in the players that are going to... You know, number nines make the difference. Like... No, that's why they're so hard to find because there's not a lot of them. But I think we can do a little bit more there. So it's almost reverse engineering what you want from your tactical system. And I think every tactical system raises and falls by by their by their goal scores because at the end of the day it'll be whether you win the games or not. So I think we can, you know, to 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 go back and scale back. I think that's what we can do a little bit more of. So. Now there's layers to it, like there's there's getting a, a ten year old out and doing a bit of shooting with them, or there's doing what clubs are doing now and and bringing in data and using XG and using zones and and giving them that data feedback. Uh, it's just a case of where you know the consistency, the buy in, the level of the players, so many things. But I think that's where that's where the game's going to go. Yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of refreshing to hear you go back and talk about the. They have to still have to have the underlying skills to complete the skill to complete the task they're asked to do. Because I hear I think sometimes we and again, mea culpa, like I've definitely done it myself. We get so caught up in the tactical aspect of the game and how we want to play, and then we just forget about working on the basic skills that we need to get it there. And I think the basketball one was a really really good example. Like of course they're in there, they're practicing the the execution and the tactical stuff can come afterwards. Um. It, I've mentioned the book. Um, what drove you to write it in the first place? Uh, like, was it a case of you saw that there was a lot of gaps there, or was it a sense of frustration that you couldn't find anything on these these areas that you you write about, or was it a case of I have to get these ideas out of my head and onto paper, uh, or maybe it was all all the above? It's probably the, probably the third one. I, I had. I didn't think that I had anything that anyone else didn't have. You know, I didn't think, oh, this is, gee, people need to read this. Um, I wrote, a, I started writing some blogs when I was about, uh, when I was working at Division Two school. I just started writing a monthly, or was it every two, maybe been every two weeks, just a blog and a diary and stuff like that. And then I would put a training session on. And, and like this, these were the days that social media was a real hub for, for the coaching community. Like it was, Twitter was so different then. It was so good. You know, people were sharing ideas and people were were uh, stuff that you hadn't seen before. You could now get access and people's thoughts. And I just put some stuff out and and it got a decent, like not great. Like like it wasn't like 4,000 retweets, everything I was putting out. It was four retweets or four likes. But I just put some stuff out and it was decently received. And I, I felt that I wrote it when I was an assistant coach at Cincinnati and I, I was... I was going through, I still like two, two, of my, two of my dear friends that I worked with at the time, I still had like loads of ideas. I just like, I was going through such a, it unlocked a really creative part of my mind to where I was looking at session ideas. I was looking at this, I was looking at that. Now in the division one, you shouldn't really have time to write. Uh, you should be, you should be doing more uh, recruiting work or, you know, there's a lot of times in the office, but you're not dealing with. I like in my eyes, I wasn't dealing with soccer problems, and that's where we're probably like to my fault. The way you probably wasn't a great assistant coach at college level was because I wanted to solve soccer. Like I've, and even today, like I can I can get lost, absolutely lost in in video. I can get lost in documentaries, and you like the game just fascinates me. And this was at a time when the game, I think, was like coaching was really changing. Social media was getting us a lot of a lot of exposure to different minds, but also like Mourinho was making the non ex player coach uh, almost a, it was now acceptable. So you could you know, give us all a bit of confidence in our voice, I suppose. And that's where I just put it out. Like the guy told me that uh, James Lubsden cook, like done a great job editing it for me. And he said, it's not going to sell Gary. Like you're not going to, and, like it's not a Pulitzer, like it's, it hasn't it hasn't sold two million copies or anything, but it's it's done all right to where you know I'll do another one and then I'll do another one. But what I kind of used it for was something in my head was like I want to 
you know, something out of pre-season and then position-specific. But every time I wrote something, um, I felt that I had to study it a bit more. So I thought, why not do two things at once? Study something, write a book, do a bit of practical. And I always think the practical makes you humble. So I'd never want to think my books are like um, like a sales pitch to like you have to play this formation. And even like I've got a 4-3-3 book out and my biggest regret is that the name of it because it's it's like it's supposed to challenge you to be open in your 4-3-3 and to change it and implement it. But it sounds like everyone should play a 4-3-3, which is the opposite of what I want. <laughs> so that's my own fault on that. But But that's just all it is. Like it's... It's something that it, it like I love writing. It's a hobby and um, something that I'd like to do a bit more of. But I love to share ideas, and uh, it was something. Yeah, at the time, uh, it was. I felt as if other people could benefit from it. Yeah. So, like, I'd be interested in it. So, do you think that, like, you've obviously done a lot in terms of coach education, in terms of your yourself, or, or trying to educate yourself, be it formally or informally? So do you think that um, coach education in general may be a little bit too much on the the tactical side and maybe not enough on the the feedback and that those interpersonal relationships and stuff like that that you t- mentioned earlier on? I think, yeah, yeah. Like I think coach, coach education first and foremost has come a long way and, and it's like I would never say a negative word about uh, – about a about a federation or an association, like I I, I honestly uh, and I I I've heard great things about people that are doing coaching courses. Where the gap is, and in terms of like where I would say the the realism part and the education part is that I I believe we're doing way too much theory based work, and I believe that. The, the starting point of what you're doing should be always to get on the grass because that's where it humbles you. I think like, and I've been out of work for, for periods of time and and you, I think there's a real danger of thinking that there's a way that, you know, there's easy easy solutions to that, 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 and that. And I think the coaching community at the minute, uh, because social media allows us to put our thoughts out right away, I think we're going to be amplifying that voice of, well, such and such is an idiot that can be done that way. And if you're reading that constantly, which we are today, like Stephen, you know, like people are just stuck to their phones reading that, that's got to have a subconscious effect on how we are consuming information as a coach. So now you add that to the fact that I believe that if I get an A license, B license, pro license, that I should be working at that level then that, I, I believe that's slightly unrealistic, but even more so I believe it's unhealthy because I don't believe it, it challenges the individual to get better. So I think like, I, I, don't, I, I don't care if you can break down Barcelona versus Bayern Munich. I don't care if you can write a 5,000 article, a word article on it. Like it really does, because because that'll never be accurate unless you were there in Bayern or you were there at Barca or Man City. You don't know what the context is. Well, what, what I would like to see challenged is, like, show me a 5,000-page a or 5,000-word report on what you're doing with your players using real-life examples, using data, using GPS, using all this. I think that's where we should be assessing. Uh, I know I know that that's hard for everyone to go into everyone's environment, but at the same time, like, I think, I think that's what's going to, you know, I, I see a lot of people that are putting these, game models these theory based plans together but i'm like that's not good like that you know working in with a powerpoint might it might give you an hour in the first meeting of the year but there's so much more to it than that than when the when everything's falling into place and when when you're struggling i think that's where you're going to be judged as a coach so it's in it's tough but but education is has got better i still think we can we can just use it a bit more no, hundred uh, percent. I fully agree with everything you just said. It's it, the most humbling thing I ever did on a coaching course was having to video myself doing a training session. Me thinking I did a great job on that said training session, and then having to uh, show it in front of the rest of the, the the class, and you're nearly like you're wondering, going, "Oh my god, I thought I was. I thought I knew how to coach, and then you're looking at yourself, and it's yeah, it's I've been." Heartily recommend that if anyone wants to uh, take themselves down a peg or two looking at themselves yeah. coaching. Um, 
just on that then in terms of like the coach education and you're talking about the context and etc you have probably a unique perspective in the fact that you're over in the US now so where where is coaching in the US compared to coaching in Ireland and and particularly I'm interested in how coaching is perceived and uh, as a profession or as a as a calling over there compared to over here like I think we're getting better but I, I would be of the opinion that we've an awful long way to go yeah I mean I'm not an ever like I don't I don't go around I I do sometimes I do uh like before COVID you know conventions and and different coach education events so uh reading stuff and trying to keep my ear to the ground like I think I think our level of want and information over here is really high. Um, I, I think I think to our our biggest challenge here is that sometimes in our culture here we look for the secret sauce um, of coaching, and I think we look almost in towards like what are they doing over there? If it's uh, France, Spain, Germany, England, and whoever it is, Brazil, and then we say, right, well, we need to be doing that there. And I think we've we've might have, you know, there's a lot of US coaches who are, who have done really well and and that have made a bit of a strain. And I, I did an interview with Anson Dorrance, who's one of the most successful um, co- college coaches on the like leg, absolute legend in the game. And he, he, I thought he was really interested in talking about the fact is our our like our um, our identity as a nation over here, and I always think like we the back to the theory base, like in the tactical, and this is my experience as well. Like I, I I spent a few years going really deep into the tactical side of it, but I also felt that I took a little bit away from my personality, um, and I think you have to engage the heart. And I think you have to engage, you know, on who you are and what you are. And I always think, like, looking at when I look, I've lived in America now longer than I've lived in Ireland. And when I look at Irish sports, I always think, like, it's pretty consistent across. I said it before, like, pretty consistent across the board. I don't think, as Irish people, we give ourselves credit for the the way that we want to play a sport or the way we want to play a game, if it's Gaelic, rugby, soccer, whatever it is. But sometimes in the U.S., we want to... We want to make it almost because we have heart rate monitors, we have all the facilities, we've got the access, and sometimes we want to make it a bit more methodical or, or a bit more clinical. And I think you need to have a little bit of chaos in there as well. So sometimes, you know, it's a, and sometimes the weather does it. As, like I, I worked in a climate in, in California where it was 85 degrees every day with no, not even a gust of wind, you know, for, so that and the grass was perfect, and and sometimes that can make a create a culture. Like sometimes you need, you know, sometimes it's it's in Fermanagh and the and the wind's blowing you. You know, you need a, sometimes you just need that there. Uh, but but I think that's you know some of the conversations I've had with coaches at the minute is trying to trying to balance this like creating an environment that that challenges the players in a really healthy way and makes it a positive environment rather than you know, conditioning them to to get everything not perfectly, but in perfect condition. Like the balls are pumped up; they're all Nike balls. They're all one hundred and fifty dollar balls. The grass is manicured. The floodlights are on, or the sun's shining, and um, it's that's not what develops. You know, you need certain and not like adversity. You don't need to be running up hills and doing all that there. But I think you need to tweak the mind to solve problems. And a golfer wouldn't you know, play the same course every year and go out and then play a different course. You just have to be able to, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's when I look at the Irish culture and I think there's so much that I didn't take for, I didn't really, I wasn't aware of when I was growing up, but now 20 years later, I look back and think, oh, I remember going and playing on one pitch and half of it was uphill. And like, I thought at the time it was a disaster. I'm looking now and thinking like, I was there was something in that it engaged your mind. You had to do something, and you know, and that's where sometimes over here, um, you know, we, we've we've made a lot of progress, but sometimes we we almost approach it as a template. Yeah, um, I, no, it does make sense. Um, uh, well, apart from the fact that you're going to have a a lot of angry people listening, going, look at him talk, complaining about the perfect <laughs> weather, uh, and, and me looking out the window at a dour uh, at a dour evening here in Dublin. Um, 
But just uh, you mentioned the environment there um, and you mentioned it a couple of times earlier as well. So what you're trying to do there is to try and create a, a, an environment where they have to overcome adversity or problem solve or whatever that may be. So have you got any like practical tips? So people listening at home might be coaching under 15s, under 16s team, like a practical takeaway that they could take to create that environment. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I mean, to, to go back to that one before. Yeah, absolutely. I should be hammered for blaming my, my dad would give me a good check if you heard me slip about good weather. <laughs> but like I have a five-year-old and he's probably a year or two away from going into a youth soccer experience. And and I like I speak to a lot of young players here and, and kind of get there. Like what the weather does. And as Irish people, you're always cognizant of the weather, aren't you? Like it's the first thing you chat about during the day. But what the weather does is that if it's sun shining and it's 85 degrees and they're 14 or 10 or 24, or if they're seven, gives the coach a better opportunity to, to sit down with everyone and coach, which means that now the, the environment can be more likely be shaped, not always, but more likely to be shaped when a coaches, more instruction, more talking. Um, and, and that's where I look like I've conversation with my wife. Like she's like, I can't wait to get him to soccer. And I thought, Oh, I wish my, I don't even know if he'll have an interest in it, but I wish my five-year-old would have my experience of, the coach, it was so cold, you know, you had to move all the time. So there was no coaching. So we learned to solve the problems. Now, when the tempo dropped or when the work rate dropped, the session stopped and it was addressed. Um, now, granted, like, I became a hard worker, but not technically a good player. So it, it doesn't solve every problem. But I, I think today it would be, it's just something that we need to be aware of over here. But to go to your, to go to your question then about, like, how to get that adversity, I think I think there's different ways to do it. I think like every player is going to find adversity in different ways because some some players are challenged through just the game provides enough challenge. Some players coast and training, and then the game meets them, and then all of a sudden they're not used to it. Some players just physically are are not developed at a certain age, so the game that was me. Like the, the game was a challenge enough for me. I didn't need uh, much more up until I was eighteen. So I think you. You want to look at who needs it, like who who in your team needs to be challenged. Like, and there, there probably is two or three players who who you know need a little bit of it. Then it's like, all right, so what does that look like today? And for some of them, it might just be goal setting, and for other people, it might just be listen. You know, I, I you know it can be a Zoom or it can be a chat with parents or anything. It's like I'd like to, you know, what what do you want to go with this? Well, I'd like to go to you know do this in at an academy in England if they're 13 or 14 or I'd like to you know, I'd like to go national level or whatever it is. It's like, all right, well, this is what that would require. It would require me putting a bit more expectation on that. For other people, it might be, listen, like, what do you want to do? They say, well, I want to be a doctor. All right, well, you're going to have to, te- you're going to, have to communicate. Like, I've never seen a doctor who can deliver bad news to people, not at a professional level. So maybe I'll, I'll try and challenge you then. So, I'm going to ask a bit more of you during in between sessions. I want you to hold that person accountable. And I think it just goes back to the individualizing the program. Like people, I probably, to uh, no, I definitely, like a, a real mistake I made as a young coach was uh, overgeneralizing, prescribing. Like everyone needs to be challenged every day. And, and I was challenging them all with the same thing. But today, again, like we've got a, a really collaborative head coach here who, He's looking at each individual, something I'm learning and saying, oh, yeah, that player, you know, you, it adds a bit of empathy as well, where I think sometimes as coaches we can go down that textbook and look at them just as players. But I think we need to look at where do they want to go, what do they need, and some of them need to be left alone every now and again, and some of them need to be uh, – but that's that's coaching, isn't it? Like that's knowing who to push, what buttons to push, and when, and, and how often, like that's – that's the science or sorry that's the art of coaching yeah and i think it comes it's lovely the way that no i think that's come lovely full circle back to where we started about at the, talked about at the start in terms of how you plan out your sessions and feedback and who to give it to and when etc um gary we ask everyone we have on the show uh three questions um so to finish up uh what does the term successful coach mean to you successful coach uh for me would be yeah probably changed in the last again 10 years or five years has been 
I, I still get excited by someone who can take a group of players at one level and take them to somewhere as a group where they wouldn't have gone without you know their their help or their work um and for me a successful coach isn't driven by by the awards they as a team or their or their size of their facility or anything got there or you know their stature it's just about you know for someone to take a team from the third division to the second division and and implement something that makes those a little bit different like i, I there's a there's a twitter um handle and, and a website ground guru does a lot of work and um he does some great he shines a light on people that are maybe just a little bit of innovation and just by personality like i'm intrigued by people that do things a little bit differently so when people are successful doing things a little bit differently hence like taking something somewhere and moving it up a level or two that's to me like that that excites me and i Stephen today i have a lot of respect for people that do that i love reading about that yeah, no, it is. It's really good. Um, they, they do. I think they have a podcast as well as the Twitter handle, Gary. If you're right, yeah. they really, really. It's. And you're right, though. They do. They find the person. They they don't go and talk to the the head coaches or the first. They talk to the people behind them who are maybe driving a little bit of uh, something cool or something innovative that is helping push the team on, which is good. Um. So you mentioned Twitter a good few times, but what would you say is best book resource that you'd recommend to coaches coming through? Uh, the best book, two two books. Uh, I was talking about this one yesterday. Ma- Malcolm Gladwell is one of me. He's not like a soccer or, or a, he's just a writer. Uh, he's got a book called David and Goliath. Um, and it basically, I always like when I read a book to be challenged or almost to say, all right, well, let's, take something that you believe is like a basic understanding and then stamp all over it and then take your mind somewhere else. And he, and this David and Goliath, he basically, you know, sometimes we lead, I've, I've done it even when I worked at schools with lesser resources, I thought that we weren't successful in certain areas because we didn't have X, Y, and Z. But now he goes through a whole book on how that mindset is harmful, but then also examples about people that have overcome. It's not the, it's not the Davids of the world, it's the Goliaths of the world and how to kind of change your mindset. And then alongside that there would be um, Goldmine by uh, by Rasmus Ankerson. Um, again, similar similar um, uh, principles towards success. He, he goes to, basically goes to uh, Brazil to look at Brazilian soccer players, uh, Jamaica to look at Jamaican sprinters, um, I think it's South Korea to look at golfers. Um, and then he, he looks at them saying, all right, well, all these people and look at these places and see what they have in common. And basically like it's, oh, it's Ke- Kenya. The best one's actually an Irish cross country coach in Kenya. And uh, brother, um, brother, it'll come to me. Go on, keep going. Yeah. I, this, this blew my mind. I'm like going like, yeah, that's like Brazil. I guess it's only like three, four years ago. I'm going, yeah, like Brazil are good because they're genetically, you know, it's Brazil, you know. And, and you start thinking of it and then he starts, you know, he, he goes to these places and he talks to these people. And, and it's just a bit of, a, again, an eye opener that you can be success. You know, it's about, yes, it's about an environment, but you are more in control of certain things in that environment to add and take away. And then, uh, the, like R- Rasmus Ankerson himself is a really interesting person. So he's he's been involved in Midland. Uh, you know they've done a lot of work on data, and then he's he's involved in. The, I think he's on the board, or he's he's one of the leaders at Brentford as well that have done a lot of innovative stuff. So he's got another book about like Lego as well, and it's just a fifty pager. But anyone that can frame your mind and change it, and sometimes that's what I always think it. The more I like, I used to think knowledge was the was the thing as a coach, and now the more I, I coach, the more I think like knowledge is. Like anyone can attain knowledge, anyone can read a textbook, but to, the ability to to almost unlearn something, question something, um, admit mistakes, admit faults, see the best in people, be forgiven, all these things, just be more open minded. I think that's where you know. I, I think as, as we start as coaches, we should always remember that we're coaching people so we're trying to get close to people 
rather than trying to get close to impressing other coaches, which is two different paths, you know. And those, yeah. those, those books keep you grounded. No, 100%. And it's funny how many like top, top coaches that you hear say exactly the same thing in a different way, maybe, but the same thing in terms of, yeah, they are always trying to continuously learn and that journey just doesn't stop. Uh, it doesn't stop. You go and get a, ba- a coaching badge and you stop or you go and coach the highest level and then you stop. It The, the most successful one seems to keep striving to to learn all the time. And it was Brother Colm O'Connell that just came to me there. Ah, uh, yeah. To go in Kenya. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating character altogether. Um, listen, Gary, you've been fantastic. Last question. Um, and I'm very conscious that you probably have a full day ahead of you over there. Um, what are your top tips for a developing coach? Uh, top tips, I would say, first and foremost, would be to, to start where you are, start anywhere, um, and build a reputation. I think sometimes we think of building a reputation like Jose or Pep and build. Like, no one will ever be, no one will ever be impressed by what you win, or everyone thinks they play the beautiful game better than anyone else anyway. So don't go down that road of thinking that you're going to build a reputation by playing. Uh, this spectacular attack and brand because it probably won't be as as spectacular as you think it is. I would instead build a reputation or if it's in your village, if it's in your town, if it's in your county, if it's in your, your country, build a reputation of being reliable, of being energetic, of being, you know, doing what you say you're going to do and make people better. And And I think if you go down a road where, you almost zone in on can I improve players and can I do it in a manner that you know that I am gain empathetic that I that I can see them where they are take them where they are not put them in places where I want them to be in five years and not treat them like pros when they're twelve. I think that there makes you a difference. I think the relationship piece today, because the the game is moving so fast and the world is moving so fast in terms of technology and stuff, I think. You know, having that empathy and having that energy, I think, draws people towards coaches. And if you reverse engineer it, then you see it at the highest level. You know, you, you look at these these managers today, Pochettino, I saw last night walking off with, with Di Maria. Um, he could have just let him go to the locker room and speak to a player liaison when his house got burgled. But he walked back in with him and he did that there. And little things like that. Like, And again, I'm getting older, um, so I'm starting to pick up more on coaches that do things that that players would appreciate and it goes a long way whether they're whether they're 12 whether they're 24 and I would if, if I drop uh, Callum my son if I drop him off at a place in two years and, and and he's having a bad day or if he's having a you know someone spends time with him and tells him and explains to him that that's not what they do at this club and you know he's got up his standards I would like that would be a really big moment for me, and I really appreciate that there. But I think as well, I was having this conversation with one of our staff members the other day. Like, don't get that confused with still making people better. Like, don't because sometimes in the relationship piece, you can also say to be like, "Hey, how are you today? Have a joke, have a laugh, and everyone's in a good place." But like, you have to make them better, make people better, constantly challenge them, and constantly look for ways because. I think if you combine those two, uh, I think you'll go far. Like, and I think that's, but it's hard. Like, it's really hard. I mean, the last thing I would say is that there's more downs than up. Uh, as much as Twitter, and, and I've been guilty of this of a hundred percent. I've been guilty of probably portraying a picture that coaching is this perfect. You know, it's almost a brand today of coaching. You know, you've got it's a perfect picture, and my life's great, and all this here. But like, there's there's more defeats. There's setbacks. There's there's challenges, you know, there's stuff that you have to work through and you you haven't, and I, that's where I think, Stephen, like you're saying, like, well, it's, uh, you know, you're always looking, but you're, you're always looking for stuff because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So you're having to go back and revisit it. And, and I just think that uh, just be patient with yourself. Don't try to be the, you know, don't try to be Man United manager tomorrow because those guys are operating at a seriously, seriously high level. So enjoy what you do. And, and, um, and don't don't set your goals too high, and don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, yeah, no, and really good points, Gary. And like you, you nailed it on the head there. You hit the nail on the head there. Uh, like uh, 
every time I think I'm, I have a fair good understanding of that concept or that coaching concept. And I talk to someone on the show like yourself and then I'm like, geez, I never thought of that angle or I never thought of this. And it, it's just this ever evolving thing. And, and uh, as you say, the more you know, the more you don't know, the more you realize you don't know. But uh, once you're open to learning, I think it's really good in terms of being able to, to develop as a coach. Listen, it's been fantastic having you on, Gary. I really appreciate you giving up your time. I know it's a really busy time of the year for you guys, but I think there's loads for people to take away from the conversation. You talk about the planning, the simplicity in your planning in terms of the principles and believing in them, uh, to driving standards, reflecting on your coaching journey and, and, and evolving. Um, and two really big takeaways for me is you talk about context being key and making people better and if you have that at the center that you won't go too far wrong so Gary thank you very much